we conclude our series today titled The Altar. And this is a series about encountering God. And the series is called The Altar because in the Old Testament, the altar was essentially a place where God's people met God. They would meet God through their sacrifices. They would offer animal sacrifices or maybe a grain sacrifice. And uh, they would meet God at the altar where they would also find forgiveness for their sins. And it would be a place where they would, where they would consecrate themselves to God. In fact, the, the basis for this series is not so much that, that we need to make our lives an altar to God, but rather that we need to provide an altar for San Angelo, an altar where people in San Angelo, people in this community can meet God. And it goes back to a verse in Isaiah 19, 19 that says this. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. All right. So think about that verse. There's an altar to the Lord, not in Israel, but in Egypt, in the heart of Egypt. There's a, an altar to the Lord. And the previous verses to verse 19 of Isaiah 19 tell us that Egypt was a very corrupt society at this time. Very sinful society. In fact, the prophet describes Egypt as a drunkard staggering around in his vomit. That's a very graphic description of the culture of Egypt. And in the midst of this sinful culture, in the midst of a drunkard staggering around in his vomit, there's an altar to God. Where did that come from? How, did, how is that possible? And I, but I think the message for us today is that even though we live in a sinful culture today, because Egypt is very similar to our modern day culture today. Uh, Egypt, I think, is very similar even to San Angelo because Egypt was morally corrupt and, and our culture today is morally corrupt. Egypt was godless and our culture today is increasingly godless. But just like in Egypt, there was an altar to God. I believe that God is calling us to build an altar to the Lord in the middle of this community, in the middle of this sinful world. And that's been the big idea of our series. The big idea of this entire series has been that San Angelo needs an altar, a place to meet God, and God is calling us to build it. The reason we, we meet as a church, the reason we give uh, tithes and offering to fund the ministries of the church, the, the reason we come together once a week and twice a week and any time that we come together, the reason we do that is because we're building an altar to the Lord for San Angelo. The reason we establish relationships with non-Christian people, the reason we tell them about God, the reason we pray for them, the reason we tell them God has an answer for your need, the reason we invite Him to come worship with us is because God is calling us to build an altar to God. The reason we repent of our sins ourselves, the reason that we consecrate our lives to to holiness, the reason that we live a life of worship to God is because God is calling us to build an altar to God here in San Angelo. And I hope that this series has been helpful and will continue to be helpful to you to help you understand that not only should we lay our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice to God, but that we're called to build this altar for others here in San Angelo. So in this series, we've spoken about the altar of repentance. We spoke about the altar of holiness, the altar of worship. And today, as we conclude, I want to talk to you about the altar of commission. 
And we find our text in the book of Isaiah. So I'm going to ask you if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal, that is to say a burning coal, in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Would you say with me, Here I am. Send me. The altar of commission. Isaiah had a vision in which he saw the Lord in all his majesty. He saw him on his throne. He saw him high and lifted up. And in contrast, or by contrast, he saw himself as a sinful man with unclean lips, standing in the presence of a holy and a a mighty God. And so he feared. He feared judgment. He feared death. He, He despaired of his sinful condition. But he also saw an altar. There was an altar there. It was an altar of, uh, apparently, of a burnt offering. Uh, it was an altar of forgiveness for him because a seraph took a live coal and, and touched it to his lips and, and took his, his sin away. Now, the altar of forgiveness became for him a place of commission because this is where God called him and commissioned him to go to the people of Israel and to speak for God. God called him there. And God commissioned them there. And we know from reading the, the history books in, in the Bible, from reading the book of Isaiah, that God used him. Now, Isaiah wasn't the first person called by God to do his work. In fact, God always sends people to do his work of preaching and ministering to those in need and to those who need, in, in some manner, his intervention. God uses people. It's been said that we are God's hands. We are God's feet to go and minister to people. We are God's mouth to preach the gospel. That's God's way. God's way is to call, to commission, and to use people to do His work. That's why Jesse and Angie responded to the call and went to Spain to do His work. That's why they left behind their careers that promised them a good retirement in the future because they made good money. That's why they left that behind to go do God's work. And other missionaries with whom we partner because God calls people, He commissions them, and He uses them to do His work. 
And that not only missionaries across the sea, but he calls us as well to go across the street and to minister to our neighbors, to go across the aisle or across the room and to minister to our co-workers or our friends, our family members. We are God's vessels because that's God's way to call, commission and to use people to do his work. But sadly, not everyone responds like Isaiah when they hear God's call. Not everyone says like Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Send me. I'll go. I'll do it. I'll speak. In fact, we have examples in the scriptures of men who heard the call and didn't say, here I am. Send me. Jonah was one of them. Jonah was called by God to go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah knew that this would not be an easy task because the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, were very wicked people. They were cruel people. They were not only morally wicked, but they were cruel in the way they treated their enemies. They massacred all their enemies. They mutilated their captives. They were known to dismember and to decapitate people, to, to burn them alive. And they didn't care that it was a woman with child. They didn't care that it was a, even, even children were, were killed. And so when God told Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them, then he was motivated by fear. And he was motivated, we find out later, by pure hatred for the people to whom he was called to preach. He hated them because he knew how they had treated his own people and, and other nations. So when God called him, Jonah's response wasn't, here I am, send me. But his response was, here I am, I'm not going. I'm not going to go. You won't make me go to those evil, cruel, wicked people. So yes, go ahead and call me. Go ahead and speak to me. I'm just not going to respond. I'm not going to go. Now, how often do we feel God speaking to us? How often do we feel God, maybe not even calling us to go preach or calling us to go help somebody, but even maybe in a service like this, you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and you feel like, oh, that's me. I should respond. Oh, God is, God is tugging at my heart. And then we say, no, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to ask for prayer. I'm not going I, I, to, you can't make me do it. That was Jonah to God. You can't make me do it. Well, we all know what happened after that response. One of the scariest things possible because he went opposite the direction where God called him. God said, go to Nineveh. And he went to a city total, total, in the total opposite direction. And when he got in a boat to go to that city, the scariest thing possible happened. There was a terrible, terrible storm that scared even the, the seasoned sailors on that boat. They were frightened. And in the middle of that storm, those sailors threw Jonah off the boat into the water, the raging sea. They threw him into the water, and it got worse because he was swallowed alive by a big fish. The Bible says that God prepared a big fish. We don't know if it was a whale or it's just a special fish that God prepared. But he was swallowed alive. And he was in that fish, the belly of that fish, for three days. I actually read a story many years ago 
about something that sim- similar that happened uh, many years ago, oh, over 100 years ago. Uh, I think it happened, I don't know, somewhere in the, in the Middle East where uh, a man fell off a whaling ship and, and his partner saw him being swallowed by, a, this was a whale. And uh, the long story made short is that uh, they were able to capture this whale. I mean, that's what they did. They captured the whale. They were able to kill it. They opened it up and they found a man still alive. And uh, when they asked him what happened, he says, I, he says, it was terrible. I fainted when it happened. He says, I just passed out. He says, and then I, w- I would wake up and I'd realize, of course, it's all dark. I'd realize where I was and I'd faint again. And that's just, I mean, it was just, I'd wake up and I'd, he'd wake up and it was out of desperation. He would faint again. I, I can't imagine that. But that's what happens when we say to God, I'm not going. Not that you're going to be swallowed by a fish or be thrown off a, a boat. But I think the main point is this, that rejecting God's call leads to a life of pain and regret. May have nothing to do with fish or, or storms or water, but it's going to be a life of pain and regret when we say to God, here I am, I'm not going. Here I am, I'm not going to give my life to you. I'm not going to give my life to serving you here or anywhere else. I'm just not going to do it. That was Jonah. And we have Moses. Moses was called by God to free his people from slavery in Egypt. Moses saw the need. He knew it was a real need. He had seen it for years. In fact, he was at this time uh, when God called him. Moses was in a self-imposed exile in the desert. He was hiding out in the desert because he had killed an Egyptian who was beating up one of his fellow Israelites. He killed the Egyptian. When he found out that, uh, when he learned that others had found out about him killing the Egyptian, he went off to the desert to hide. So he was aware of the need. He knew how his people were being mistreated in Egypt. But when God called him, he just couldn't see himself doing the job that God had called him to do. God called him by appearing to him through a burning bush. And it was quite dramatic. This is supernatural, a bush that was burning but wouldn't be consumed. But that wasn't enough to convince him that he could do this, that he had God's supernatural power to do this. He just couldn't see himself doing what God was calling him to do. So his response wasn't, here I am, send me. But his response was, here I am, send somebody else. I see the need. I know there's a great need. And someone needs to go, but it just, it, it can't be me. Send, here's my brother Aaron. Send Aaron. Aaron will go. I can't even speak. You know, he, he was slow of tongue. He was a stutterer. Moses was. So he's like, I can't even speak. Uh, but send somebody else. I'll be praying for them. I'll support them. I'll give financial support. I'll pray. I'll be right there for them. But send somebody else. God did, in fact, send Aaron with Moses. They both went. But, you know, I think the, the principle here is that when we argue with God and we try to negotiate terms with God, that never ends well. Never ends well. It only makes things more difficult because arguing with God and trying to negotiate with, with God leads to a life of less than God's best. 
How many of you want less than God's best for your life? I don't. I want God's best. I don't want, I don't want to see God's best and, and then I only get here. I want God's best. But we don't get God's best when we argue with God. No, God, I, I can't go. No, God, I can't do this. No, God, I can't give up this thing. I can't give up this habit. I can't give up my friends or whatever excuses we make. Or we try to negotiate terms with God. Lord, if you bless me. God, if you help me in this problem, I'll be in church Sunday. God, if you do, you know, we, we end up living a life that God says, okay, that's fine. Have it your way. I'll, I'll protect you. I'll bless you, but not like, a way, not like the way I want to bless you. That's, that's, not, that's not a great way to live. And that's what happened with Moses. How much better to say, here I am, send me. Just respond to God's call. And then we have Jeremiah. Jeremiah is very interesting because Jeremiah was a prophet who was called by God while he was still in the womb. He was still in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is God talking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, this, this verse speaks to all of us. Uh, for, uh, certainly, it speaks to us about the value of human life in the womb, right? It, it certainly does that. I'm very saddened that our, our Congress was not able to, to pass uh, a law that protects babies in the womb after 20 weeks or 20, yeah, 20 weeks. Because life in the womb is given by God. And so... This verse that God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I had already called you. I had already set you apart. I already already appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The value of human life in the womb. But I think it's also significant here to, to see how God had planned from the womb to use Jeremiah as a prophet. That uh, God had especially chosen Jeremiah, even before he was born, to be a prophet, to go and to speak for him. Now, everybody's loved by God in the womb, but not everybody's called to be a prophet in the womb by God. Not everybody's called from the time they're in the womb to be a prophet, to speak for God before they're even born. So it was a special situation that God would say, to all of us, I loved you in the womb, but Jeremiah, I loved you in the womb and I called you to be a prophet. How would Jeremiah respond when, when he heard this from God, when he heard God say, I called you before you were born? What would Jeremiah's response be? You know what he said? It wasn't, here I am, send me. It was, here I am, I'm not ready. I'm too young. I'm too unprepared. I, I would like to go, but let's do it later. Let me grow up some. Let me prepare. Let me, let me get a little more experience. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it the day after tomorrow. I'll do it next year. I'll do it later. And God would say to him, if you read this in Jeremiah 1, God said to him, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say I'm too young. And don't say I'll do it later. Don't put it off. Don't put off responding because you, you say you're not ready or you're too young or you're unprepared. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is always the right time to respond to God's call. See, Jeremiah's fear was his lack of experience. 
I'm so young. I'm unprepared. So I'll do it later. But what he failed to understand was that God would give him everything he needed to do that work. Everything he needed to speak for him. God would give him the message he was to say. The words he was to say. God would give him the authority behind the message. The authority of his name and the power of his word. Because when we respond to God, he gives us the message of his word and the authority of his name. The message of his word and the authority of his name. The power behind his name. So we might say, I don't have the experience and I'd like to wait. God says, if I'm calling you now. If you'll respond now, I'll give you the message, what to say, and I'll give you the power behind my name, the authority behind my name. And then we have Isaiah. We're back to Isaiah, who, who didn't say, here I am, I'm not going. He didn't say, here I am, send someone else. He didn't say, here I am, but not now, I'll do it later. He said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Why was he ready to say yes to the Lord? I mean, we don't know that he was ready. I don't know that he was prepared or that he thought he was ready. And I suspect that he didn't consider himself to be prepared or to be worthy to respond to God because of the way he he responded to the vision he had. But I do think he understood a few things. I think he understood, first of all, that God is majestic and holy. Because in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he saw God. Uzziah was the king of Judah, and he had been a good king. Uzziah had just died. He had been a, a, an honorable man, a man of integrity, a man of substance and weight. He had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But now he was dead and Isaiah was feeling the pain and uncertainty of that, uncertainty of that loss. But he's beginning to recognize something here. Uzziah is dead, but God is alive. And when we face death, when we face death, it just shakes our world. And it raises so many questions. And, it, and, and all of a sudden, our life seems so unstable. And we're dealing with that right now with the news of, of our friend Jesse. Like, what's going to happen with Angie now? What, what's what's going to happen with her? And how is she going to move forward? And, and uh, just uh, the grief and the pain, the instability. And that's what Isaiah was going through. And God was saying, hey, he's dead, but I'm alive. God is alive. God is on the throne. He's high and he's lifted up. He's high and exalted. There was instability in the land, but God was still God and God was still on the throne. So when there's instability in your life, don't get all down and say, oh, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's going to get worse. Things are terrible at home. Things are terrible at work. Things are terrible with my family. No, God is still on the throne. He's high and He's lifted up. He's in control. God isn't blindsided by the things that shock us. God isn't blindsided by the things that surprise us. God wasn't shocked when Jesse passed away. God called him home. It was his time. 
So no matter what happens here on earth, God is still on the throne. He's still worshipped by heavenly hosts. And not just a heavenly host, a seraphim, the cherubim, the angels. But he's also worshipped by our loved ones. Your family members, if they died in Christ, are gathered around the throne worshipping God. Jesse Fernandez is there. My dad, my brother, your family members that died in Christ are there. God is alive. But before we say, before we can say to God, here I am, send me. We've got to recognize the majesty and the holiness of God. He's on the throne. We've got to worship him in the beauty of his holiness. We've got to join in with the, the seraphim that were saying, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with His glory. A powerful display of God's majesty and holiness. And so Isaiah understood that, but he also understood that God is holy, but we are sinful. He understood this contrast. God is holy, but we are sinful. Verse 5, when he saw this vision, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, or I am ruined. I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So what happens here is that Isaiah sees the contrast between God and himself, and it scares him. It scares him. He was awed by God's holiness and majesty, but then he's alarmed by his own, his own sinfulness. Have you ever said to yourself, what kind of person am I that I would think that? What kind of man am I that I would allow this in my life? Have you ever said that? Please say yes, because otherwise it makes me feel real, really bad. What kind of a sinner am I that, I would, that I'm doing this? What's wrong with me? That's Isaiah saying, There's, God is holy in all His majesty. And he looks at himself and he says, I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. His unclean lips represented the condition of his heart. Remember that Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say reflects a condition of your heart. People who use vulgar language, people who use words of pride and arrogance, people who use words that hurt others, reveal a heart that needs to be changed by God. Reveal a heart that needs to be regenerated. Reveal a heart that is lost without God. And is condemned without God. That's why he said, My, uh, uh, I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and just as Isaiah declared his sinfulness, we must do the same because we won't be ready to respond to God on the altar of commission until we recognize that we've sinned against God. Before we can say, here I am, send me, we must say, woe is me. I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips or I'm a woman of unclean lips because my heart is dark without God because my life is sinful without God. So that's what he saw. He recognized and he confessed that. But he also knew, thirdly, that we can be forgiven, but only as an act of God. We can be forgiven, but only as an act or through an act of God. 
Because when Isaiah confessed his sinfulness, God sent a seraph. One of the seraphim went to take a burning coal from the altar with tongues. And he touched this coal to his lips. And verse 7 says that when he touched it to his lips, the seraph said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, he received forgiveness. But it came through an act of God. It wasn't because he was so good. It wasn't because, oh, I got to see a vision of God that makes me holier than everybody else. It had nothing to do with that. He recognized his sinfulness. It was an act of God. And that's what we need today. We need a touch from God with a burning coal from his presence. We need a touch from God with a live coal from his altar to come and to touch us. We need God's presence. We need God's touch. We need God's anointing. And this was God's doing. This was an act of God. He wasn't forgiven because he was so good. There was no way he could have grabbed that coal by himself. It took God doing it by commanding the seraph. And here's something that I find amazing. God was willing to interrupt the worship that was going on. Remember, they're worshiping God, right? You saw, and we read this, how he saw the seraphim saying, Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. They're worshiping God, and God takes the time to interrupt the worship of himself by the seraphim to command one of them to deal with Isaiah so his sin could be forgiven. That's amazing. That's how much God cares about you. God is not some egomaniac who says, everybody worship me. You guys are on your own. He's receiving the worship because he's God, because he's holy, because he's majestic. But he's also concerned about your life, about you being forgiven, about you being restored, about you being changed. So that's what he did. Interrupted the worship so Isaiah could be forgiven. Now, we won't be ready to say, here I am, send me, like Isaiah said, until we receive the forgiveness God wants to give us. And he wants it so much for us that he will interrupt the worship in heaven, if need be, to be sure that we're forgiven. Let me just finish with this. You know, God is still calling people to do his work. He's calling us as a church today. He's saying to us, build an altar in San Angelo. He's saying to us, build a church there in San Angelo. Let that be a place for the people of San Angelo to come find God. But it takes every one of us saying, I'll do that. I'll be a faithful part of the altar in San Angelo. I'll be there in attendance. I'll be there. And when when we come, I'll worship God. I'll be involved. I'll be engaged. I'll give to fund the ministries of the church. Because I want to see my friends, my co-workers, my family members saved. So the way we build an altar is by all of us being a part of this place. Being faithful in attendance. Being faithful in worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Living lives of repentance, of holiness and worship. And responding to God when he says, Who can I send to the heart of San Angelo, to help me build an altar. How will you respond? What's your response? You get to fill in the blank. I'll tell you the first thing. You can say, here I am. 
But what will you say next? Here I am. I'm not doing this. Here I am. Send someone else. Here I am. But I'll do it later because I'm not ready right now. Or will you say, here I am. Send me. Who is going to pick up the mantle that, was, that has been left behind by people like Jesse Fernandez? And say, I may not be called to Spain, but I'm called to San Angelo and I'm going to build an altar. Will you respond to God today?